Welcome to Energy Matters, where we explore alternative health in the Pioneer Valley. I'm your host, Caroline Rutterman, and I'm a Reiki professional and intuitive in Northampton, Massachusetts. For the past nine years, I've been teaching people how to use their intuition and helping them reduce stress and anxiety. Together, we'll talk with other practitioners and learn how they bring health and healing to the Pioneer Valley. Let's do this. Hey, welcome, welcome everyone. You are listening to Energy Matters and I am your host, Caroline Rutterman. And we have a great episode for you this week. We are here with Arden Sundari, um, who is a yoga therapist. Um, so welcome Arden, welcome back. Thank you. I should say, this is your, you were here about two years ago. That's right. We were talking about earlier, estimate, right. estimate two years ago. About two years, yeah. Yeah. Um, so so tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do in the Pioneer Valley. Yeah, so I am a yoga therapist, but I like to call myself also a yogini. So really someone who's been in a personal practice and teaching for, wow, 35 years. Amazing. <laughs> so I am also, um, I like to sort of call out to my um, ancestral heritage, and I am Irish, Scottish, and English. I'm descendant of that. And I also love just to teach gentle and therapeutic yoga. Um, and my latest, well, these aren't my latest. Um, some of these fascinations have been there for a long time. But um, I have a deep study and fascination with things like fascia, anatomy, um, the polyvagal nervous system, um, intuition, what is that? Um, I noticed that a lot of your um, interviewers or interviewees, I should say, is are really tuned into their intuition. So um, that is definitely um, a deep interest of mine, as well as epigenetics and ancestral work. Yeah. Those are my latest and also oldest fascinations. Yeah. Well, what is epigenetics? I feel like it's a word I hear and then I immediately forget the definition. Right. So epi. Genetics, so um, it's connecting to your DNA, and it's related to, well, in our DNA coding, we have coding DNA and non-coding DNA, and our regular DNA gives us, um, it's only like a small portion of our DNA is coding our um, color of our hair, the type of body, color of our skin, and our hair. And then the great majority of our DNA, I guess you'd call the epigenetics, um, which is the non-coding DNA. And this is what um, can change or morph. Um, so it has to do with your personality. Oh, that's it interesting. It has to do with your character, like your behavior. And this also connects to our um, polyvagal nervous system. Oh. Yeah, so it's changeable, but it's something that we inherit. And you actually, they've been able to trace back what we inherit from our characteristics, behavior, um, up to 14 generations back. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's quite something. So yeah. you are inheriting um, behaviors, characteristics from your, not just your color of your eyes, from your ancestors. I hear a lot in various spiritual communities about 
seven years, just seven generations rather. Mm-hmm. So um, of, you know, whether we're kind of working through traumas, whether we're healing old patterns, um, whatever kind of context you want to think about it um, or that we're working on, I should say. Um, but I hear s- uh, seven generations often. So it's interesting that that epigenetics is saying 14 generations. Yeah. Yeah. They're now tracing back to 14. And I got that from a book that I've I've been has been a main source of what I'm loving these days, and that's a book written by Resma Menachem. He wrote the book um, in my grandmother's hands, and it's in that book that he says the 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 research on epigenetics is 14 generations now. Oh man, yeah. I mean, so we just have more work to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. It's slow, so it's not like and whatever comes to you naturally. Um, is really the way it should go more easily. Nothing should be, you know, like, oh, a burden. Yeah. Or too intense, you know. Yeah. Bring in some of that dolphin playful energy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Mm. Um, So I know that you and Raina Goldberg, who has also been on the show in the past, Mm -hmm. um, you guys are kind of tag teaming for an upcoming workshop um, called Tending Our Roots. Um, can you tell us about um, t- what the Tending Our Roots workshop is all about and, yeah, how that how that evolved? Because I always knew that you guys, you know, over at Sun Studios w- work separately yes. and kind of do all kinds of cool stuff independently and that you're friends. Um, but yes. I'd, I'd love to know how your how this what this workshop is and um, and how you guys decided to collaborate. Right. Well, um, first of all, I connect with Raina very much so because, um, uh, first of all, she's assisting me and she is teaching some of the aspects of this course. Um, so I really felt like an affinity with her to bring her in to, to really ground. And she has a very strong intuitive quality to her that will be a very important ingredient of this guided circle. And um, she has a really strong, loving nature. And the other thing that I really connect with her about that I think is really important for the guided circle is that she really is into um, creating or allowing, giving space to people's um, autonomy. So autonomy is really important in the circle because we're working individually, but we're also working and regulating or co-regulating within a group. So the need to really listen to yourself but work in a group context simultaneously is really important. And so Raina just rang all those bells for me, and I'm really excited to work with her. Yeah. yeah. I remember I took um, I took a workshop with her, and yeah, that's just reminding me of, yeah, about how she used to talk about that a lot. She was like, we're syncing up, but we're not syncing up like as we're syncing up with ourselves. Yeah. And within a co- like collective consciousness. But it always blew my mind how she was like, yeah, I just, yeah, we'd be bouncing on balls. And it was like, go to your own rhythm. Right. You know, like bounce at your own rhythm. So we were all kind of doing this activity. And some people were just like, not really wanting to and just barely. And then I was like, over enthusiastically, like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but she has a great way. Yeah, yeah, she has a way with that. And so that I felt like that's a really important ingredient for this. Yeah. Yeah. So you you also asked me, like, how did this come about? And I have to say, it's been coming over sort of a lifetime of my own experiences, but it was also particularly ignited by 2020. Mm. And what happened in 2020... 20- tell me more. Yeah, tell me more. <laughs> ah, 
So obviously we had the powerful movements of Black Lives Matter, and we've also had the crises. The crises. And so those things kind of really put a light underneath this need to kind of bring these different qualities together um, for what I now call Tending Our Roots Guided Circle. So um, last year could could have driven you a bit crazy. It was incredibly stressful. And so other than just sort of the societal crises, there could have been a personal crisis going on. So I felt there was a need to kind of go kind of underneath, go underneath the what's happening there and get to the roots, hence tending our roots. Yeah. Yeah. And... So, so this really kind of evolved from from that. And were you and Reina doing collaborative work during that 2020 kind of lockdown, or were you kind of tending your own roots during that time, or or maybe not at all? Uh, we weren't collaborating, but we were getting together and talking and connecting. And um, I also attended some of her classes, and she's been attending mine. So we had that sort of synergy of connecting and under- understanding each other's work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's s- main ingredients to tending our roots. And I just wanted to give like the four main aspects that come into it that weave together. So one, obviously, because I'm a yoga therapist and a yogini, the main container and sort of the ground and base for all of this is yoga. And then the polyvagal practices, uh, embodied intuition, and um, playing with the ancestral, exploring ancestral lineage. So those are the four main ingredients. And I could go into each one a little bit more if you'd like me to. Yeah, yeah. Can you give us a little little highlight about little what each, highlight each, of yeah. how these come together? So obviously, yoga is like a foundation, and that's my main. Um, that's where I'm coming from, and my main understanding of it. And yoga is about gaining agency over your prana. And if you don't know the word prana, prana means your life force. So, or the subtle energy within you, um, and that connects to polyvagal. So the polyvagal practices are about gaining agency over your nervous system. So polyvagal may, you may not be familiar with it. It's a newer term associated with the autonomic nervous system. So we're going to do practices that give you agency over your nervous system so that you are not a victim or held stuck in flight you're not held stuck in um, fight. You're not held stuck in freeze. So these, especially during these really intense times that we're having, um, in yoga we call it the Kali Yuga. It's an era of really challenging time that humanity is facing. And it's really easy to get stuck. So we have this wonderful kind of new science coming to us, how to practice and bring balance to our nervous system. So gaining agency over our nervous system is really big. And we want to learn how to condition ourselves to flow through fight, flight, freeze, because it's not that you're not, you're not trying to avoid them. They're kind of unavoidable. So what you want to do is condition yourself to flow through these states 
and then strengthen the part of our nervous system that we realize is our huge ally, which is the rest date. Mm. It's also our um, wisdom within us. So the polyvagal system um, has also been called the chakra nerve or the soul nerve. So when we strengthen the rest part of our nervous system, which brings us into wisdom, sensing ourselves, sensing, if you're familiar with chakras, the interstates of, of the heart chakra, the belly chakra, our third eye, these are more accessible when we are in a rest state. So we want to strengthen our rest state so that, um, so that we can come into play and joy more. Um, and how, how do, how do we recognize if we're in that fight, flight or freeze mode? Because when you're talking about getting agency over, you know, our, our nervous system, I mean, I feel like for a long time, I was just like over caffeinated. And that was like, like when I lived in New York, that was just our baseline. Right. You know, and then like the kind of downturn would be like drink beer and like eat pizza and bagels. And like that, I mean, that, you know, New York in your 20s, that's, no, you know. but we do that here too. Yeah. I mean, that's not a New York thing. Yeah. Um, so, yes, we turn to food and substances to help us rev us up and to bring us down. And those are great if we can use them wisely, um, but not to excess. But we have access to um, winding ourselves down or tuning ourselves up through our breathing. So as simple as extending our exhaling breath will help calm us down. As simple as extending our inhaling breath will increase our energy. So some people don't realize they have access to um, changing our own nervous state states. <laughs> and um, we can do that through yoga poses too, like back bends are stimulating and forward bends are calming and grounding. So yoga has known this for thousands of years, but we have this, it informs a new science so that we are like, oh, this is really important. It's being confirmed by our, our late, our contemporary scientists. Mm. So how do we know that we're, um, revved up um it's trial and error it's life experiences um because every if everybody's revved up around you you don't necessarily know and it's not like it's a bad thing because being in fight flight there's blended states of like just getting the job done so yeah. do 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 is okay yeah okay but there could be the edge where it moves into anxiety and like, I'm not safe, and I'm in danger. So we actually have blended states of rest and flight where it's getting the job done, and it's you're focused and things are all good. It's just when it turns into like, am I safe? Am I not safe? Feelings. Hmm. So that's a question you could ask you is, am I feeling safe? Right. And then you would know if you're in a stuck place of like, shut down, um, wanting to avoid things, or so anxious that you can't breathe, you know, these are states of like, something's not quite right, and you need balance. Right, right. That would be your kind of own, your your self-litmus test. Yes. These are ways. So yoga and breathing, and there's actually, you know, practices that come out of the polyvagal therapy community that I utilize as well. Um, 
And then embodied intuition, let me give a little um, sense of what that is. So I use embodied intuition as a way to discern truth or as a way to align with a choice, as a way to cut through ego attachments and fear or even limiting beliefs. Um, Our body and being actually responds authentically in a way that can be... um, that you can calibrate in your body to align or understand as truth or as to understand as something that you're aligned that you want to align with that feels healthy or beneficial to you. So embodied intuition, another way of saying it that some people might be familiar with is body dowsing. Some people use a pendulum, but I like to use the whole body mm. because the whole body is has I don't know, it's a fuller expression of being in alignment with truth. So some people might have their own, there's so many different ways of coming into intuition, right? Um, So if somebody wants to participate in um, tending our roots guided circle, you might already have your intuitive way, and that's great, I celebrate that. But if you haven't learned an intuitive way Um, I'm going to invite learning this embodied intuition, this body dowsing to really tune in to you, to Mm. what feels right to you, your truth, your alignment Mm. with what's beneficial. So you'll be learning that in this as well. Cool. So, so. Arden, you were going to give us a fun little exercise for our listeners to start to explore. Right. Um, So give us a little intro and then kick us off. So um, I learned this from Resma Menachem, and he's the author of In My Grandmother's Hands. And it's a great yoga pose that also connects to our polyvagal nervous system. So it's a great stretch. And at the same time, it's helping to regulate our nervous system. So if you're feeling anxious, um, unsettled, stressed out, this is a great practice. So um, what you want to do is you want to sit in your chair and you want your hips to be free because we're going to be doing a twist. So you don't want your hips to be locked down. So before we do the twist, we're going to do a couple other things. Uh, You want to place one hand on your heart and one hand on your belly. And just close your eyes. Doesn't matter which hand is. No, just place. And um, just close your eyes and notice how your nervous system feels. If you feel ramped up, stressed out, nervous, or if you feel smooth. Maybe you don't need a, a polyvagal regulating practice. Maybe it's just, you know, a a twist, a gentle pose that you need. I had a little coffee this morning, so I'm feeling this in my upper chest area. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, my breathing's really shallow. And Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I'm just kind of noticing that that caffeine is sitting still up there. Right. Or we're at the end of the day, you might have been do-do-doing and your your system is still on that up-ramp of activity. So noticing, this is like just noticing, and then we'll compare at the end. So you can lower your hands now. So your polyvagal nervous system is connected to your hindbrain, your primal brain. So this is the, the survival brain that wants to know what's around you. So what you're going to do is now look up to the sky because your hindbrain, not your cerebral cortex, not your thinking brain, your instinctual brain, 
just wants to know what's above you. So look up and look all above you and just notice what's there. And now your primal brain knows what's there and that it's safe. There's nothing around. Good. And now you're going to slowly look down at the earth and you're going to look everywhere underneath you because your primal brain wants to know what's there to know what's around you, whether you're safe or there's bugs crawling towards you or it doesn't matter. Just you don't have to intellectualize what's happening. It just wants to see what's there. So no thought, just seeing. Oh, good. And now you're going to do the twist. And that's why you want your hip to be free because you're going to stretch your vagus nerve and your vagus nerve comes down off your back of your head, kind of on the side back on both sides of your cranium down the sides of your neck. It also emanates up into your head too. So what I'd like you to do is slowly twist to the right and let your hip twist too and just look at everything behind you to the right in a comfortable way just to see and obviously if you're driving do this later <laughs> or pull over <laughs> and just feel that wonderful stretch of your spine and imagine if you're just learning about the vagus nerve that you're stretching the nerve from your neck all the way through your body. As I said, it's connected to all the chakras. So around the neck, the heart, the belly, all the way down to your pelvis. <clears throat> Good, and then switch sides. Turn and look to the left and look at everything behind you on this side. Just noticing and stretching the vagus nerve, feeling the stretch of your belly, your chest, and breathing, looking all around. Good, and now slowly come back to center, and we're gonna place one hand on the chest, one hand on the belly again, and notice if your nervous system has shifted. So you might notice you, f you might feel more calm, but if you're really hyped up, you might need to do something like that a little bit longer. But usually there's a little bit of a bump of into calmness. Hmm. I do feel a little bump into calmness. I feel like I, yeah, that was actually a really noticeable difference between just the shift. I, I think I started feeling it. I feel like my consciousness is a little bit calmer across my, my abdomen right now. Excellent. Yeah. That's great. So how easy is that? That was so fast. Right. So um, just a few minutes, you can make a real big difference in your nervous system. And people can do that at work. Oh, gosh, yes. Like if you're just sitting, <laughs> like how easy is it just to like look around, look up, look down, look down, twist to the right, twist to the right and twist yeah. to the left. Like you can do that in under a minute. Under a minute. It's so, so good. We have things that are really accessible to ourselves. It's just remembering to do them. Right. And that's why we know, have post-it notes. <laughs> I love post-its notes. Me too. I have them all over my house. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I said that we're 
four main ingredients to attending our roots guided circle. And the last one is um, ancestral exploration. So this takes a little bit to unpack. And um, so the first overview is we know our ancestors through our stories, first of all, right? Um, and I and I understand that there's a um, certain portion of the population that may not know their ancestors. Maybe you were adopted. So um, you can connect with what you call your family. So just know that um, it doesn't necessarily have to be blood ancestors. So the so you have these stories, right? And those stories have been passed down. And, um, and we think of the ancestors in this way as sort of frozen in time and space. And you just have these stories and that's it. So that's one way of approaching your ancestors. And I think it's really an important process of remembering the stories, hearing the stories, and perhaps how they affected you. Because in every aspect of ancestor understanding, there's always a gift that you're getting from an ancestor and a burden. Mm. So maybe a gift has been emphasized um, or maybe a burden has been emphasized. Um, Can you give an example of what, um, like an ancestral story that has been passed down that could be a, a gift or, or a burden? Yes. Um, I'm going to give some personal stories in a moment. I'm just going to do this overview just now so you have a full picture of that. But I love that question. Um, so the next way that you get to know, we've already covered, is through the epigenetics, right? So through our DNA, we've inherited behavior characteristics, right? And these are changeable. Like you can't change the color of your eyes, but you can actually change your polyvagal system. You can learn how to regulate it better. Um, even though you've inherited maybe a lot of anxiety, that could be a burden that you've gotten from one of your ancestors, right? Sure, sure. Um, or you've inherited a pr profound sense of calm, okay? Or a combination of both, who knows? But they're coming through in multiple lines in different ways, right? So remembering your ancestors helps has a kind of grounding quality when you remember their qualities if you want to emphasize the positive. And then the last one is through spirit. And so this is the one that's kind of new as far as ec ancestral exploration is that understanding ancestors um, in spirit means that they are here in time, but they're not here in space. In other words, um, they're in another dimension. Okay. So we think of ancestors as long ago, far away, just stories been passed down. But another way of approaching them is that, no, they're here. So they're not just, they're not just dead and gone or no, gravestones. And, no. Yeah. So we explore all three tracks in attending uh, our roots. First, we start with the stories and eventually we move into connecting directly with them. And we do that through the embodied intuition practice or through your own version of of intuition if you already have one. So you've asked me, uh, I would like to share some personal stories. I love uh, it. Yeah. Bring it. I know. So of course I've been tracking some recent ancestors and there's, um, cause you said it was Irish, Scottish. And what was your third part of your and, ancestry? And English. And English. Yes. But I'm actually not going to track that far. Cause you know, most of my ancestors have 
have come back almost from the time of early settlers. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of Yankee. I consider myself more Yankee, New England based than a lot of people are like, oh, you know, like I'm Nordic or this or that. And I'm like, I, I feel very Yankee. Like, <laughs> I feel like I've watched, I watched my mom and my aunts like canning their vegetables and making relish and quilting and being so puritanical around sex and their sexuality. Right, and right. I'm just like, no, I feel pretty New England. Yes. And so here we go. The stories of canning and pure puritanical approach to our sexuality we inherit these and they can be a burden they've been made it can make you very stuck or it can be something like canning which is you know a wonderful grounding practice that you can connect to so there's things that we have to really question and look at are they really beneficial at this time and that's what we look at at tending our roots we go a little bit more deep into that so i have a great 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 grandfather his name is William Brown Smith and he had a challenging early life um, as an orphan um, and but throughout his life he uh, created wealth through um, cattle breeding um, he was also quite religious and he also had an unabashed um, belief in abolitionism and uh, it's even in his obit. He goes, I'm an abolitionist. <laughs> so he made it very clear. Um, and what was really cool about him is that he lived in the Civil War era, and he lived in upstate New York, and believe it or not, um, Harriet Tubman also lived in that time. Cool. And so I, you know, I was picking up these pieces of why was he an abolitionist and how was he connecting that? Oh, Harriet Tubman lived in the town next door to him. And Ooh, I just got the shivers. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm like, wow, me too. This is really profound stuff that I have an ancestor who was really sort of early Black Lives Matter. Um, and I feel really inspired by that and connected to that. And I, I know he had enough wealth to contribute financially to the abolitionist movement. Sure. So I have to say this is a gift and um, good feeling and something that really grounds me into my ancestors. Um, so nobody's perfect and there's no, yeah, nobody's perfect. So, you know, but this is a gift that I'm taking from him. And then I have two other ancestors who, um, suffered a little bit more. And so, and they also have impacted my life. And it's interesting. There's, there's storytelling that people love to share about ancestors. And then there's sort of the unspoken like, oh, you don't want to know about this ancestor so much. So then this is how the polyvagal system where you're inheriting things in a nervous system, like something's wrong. Yeah. And then, or... I bet everybody, I mean, immediately when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, we don't we don't talk about that uncle anymore. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah, the one mm -hmm. that had, like, the drug addiction and whose son is, you know, yeah, like, yeah, right. yeah. I feel like... We all have those selective shared ancestries about yes. what we want to highlight and what we kind of dismiss. Oh, and, avoid. Yeah. and so when it, we're talking just about stories that for me, 
because it was a story that I wanted to unpack and know more about, like, why aren't we talking more about this ancestor? Anyway, this was my great-grandfather. His name was Thomas Brooke, and he was a he has a fascinating story. I won't go into great detail, but he really was a rags to great riches. Um, and this was during the 1920s where there was a huge financial boon. And remember the burst? Sure. And of course, we've repeated that pattern quite recently as well. But he he was part of that um, boom bust thing. So he went from rags to riches and then went back to rags with jail time and then got cancer and died of cancer. So his story was really intense. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, ending your life in jail and having cancer is not a great ending, but it kind of gets passed down a little bit where the story kind of gets a little bit more intense where when he was being tried for um, his wrongdoing. Um, <clears throat> his son was a lawyer, and his son represented him in the court case. Wow. And it was one of his first court cases. Oh, my goodness. And he lost. So my grandfather was representing my great-grandfather and lost, and his father went to jail. Talk about the potential for guilt. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think all the members of my family believe this, but my mother does, that she f- believes that he, he became addicted to alcohol because of that, that a trauma, that tragedy. Yeah. And he actually died of alcoholism mm. later in his life. Um, he was quite functioning, but, you know, it was alcoholism that really took him. So this sort of storyline of you know, how that affects my life. Of course, I interpret that. And um, there was another generation between me and my grandfather and my great grandfather. But, um, you know, like, what does money mean? Right? And to use it in a balanced way is a lesson, you know, um, were the lessons that that I could more consciously take in because I was curious about it. I didn't just want to push him off and have shame and guilt and boy, everybody was sad and this was awful. No, there's a lesson there that I could glean and strengthen myself through. Even though it was a burden, I chose to also take a gift out of that. Hmm. And then I have another um, ancestor who, from a different line, um, Her, she was my great-grandmother and her name is Hannah Smith Waters, and she actually committed suicide. So again, you know, we can have intense things that happen in our family line that are really important to look at. Um, there was no explanation why she took her life, um, and she was already a grandmother. Interestingly, like she had young, she had grandchildren already in her life. So, you know, what was amazing about her was she was a dynamo of creativity and expect high expectation and um so she had a lot of energy but something happened she had a lot of creativity but something happened and i think her expectations started turning into disappointments maybe she started to feel irrelevant in old age and by the way we have ageism and so our culture doesn't appreciate older people. 
Um, she was a woman who, um, in the 1930s and 40s, what they do was cook, clean, and marry off your children. Then what then? So, you know, there's not a lot of value placed on women aging. And so, and then she was starting to have disappointments. And so I think these were some of the things that l led to her taking her own life. But again, this was something that the family has a hard time talking about. So in choosing to talk about this more freely and openly as I am here, we're gleaning lessons from that. And of course, we've come quite a long ways from my great-grandmother's time, um, but there's a lesson there, you know, that society really wasn't supporting her to a certain degree. There's always a societal and cultural influence to how our wellness is, yeah. as well as personal, how we hold ourselves personally. And, you know, if, if we're, if we come from, you know, if we have either adopted or, or, you know, our biological ancestors, if, if we have these kind of figures in our life, what we all do, whether they're, you know, a blessing or, um, or a burden, Mm -hmm. As you kind of have described, um, you know, if our family members don't want to talk about these figures, can we still make changes by talking about them with it? Like, I mean, I guess, does it have to be within the family dynamic that we talk no. about these? Or can it be like among friends and other communities? Oh, like absolutely. Because sometimes it's absolutely not functional to speak about it within your your um with your family members that are still living. Yeah. And sometimes um, you can't get the whole story from people and no. you're like, I want to know more, but they like keep avoiding it or they walk out or they just shut yep. it down. Yeah. And it's that's, hard. Yeah. It's tough. So, you know, I'm someone who, um, who doesn't, you know, necessarily wait for family members to shift or be ready to talk about these things. Um, you know, I start to talk about them with my friends, or you can also talk to a therapist about them and you can learn about family constellations, which is another cool modality. I love family constellations. Yeah. Super yeah. Cool. So there's ways to unpack these and turn these burdens into gifts and really empower your life as well. Mm. So what I think is really fascinating about ancestral, um, exploration is culturally we don't really know the names of our ancestors beyond our grandparents mm. and i'd like to say or ask why is that why don't we know the names of our ancestors beyond our grandparents it seems outrageous why do you to think? a certain degree um <laughs> i mean the for i can think in my family is that like we just didn't like my mom only maybe mentioned her her grandparents maybe like she had a tough relationship with her her dad and her mom died young and that was painful but she only mentioned her grandfather who is a very quiet farmer very spoke very very little um but she only mentioned him a handful of times so it's sometimes it's just my parents just didn't talk about them yeah, we don't have something culturally or we've erased a cultural practice because most cultures in this world do remember, do honor their ancestors, do have all ceremonies of it. ceremonies and, and, and yeah, traditions. absolutely. Yeah. So why does this why did this culture decide to forget? So 
And the irony is that like goddess traditions and earth-based spiritualities like have altars, daily practices. And even within Judaism, Judaism, like, you know, there's, yeah. So I, my feeling is that our culture came here rip-roaring and in quite a destructive mode. So I would say colonialism Mm. um, was a process of forgetting. And even before settlers came here. And escaping. And escaping, settlers came also here to escape. Um, You know, people who identify with white, who um, are of European descent, might have been escaping some pretty you know, decades and centuries of persecution before they came to the United States. So there might have been some loss of memory there. So there's been like an erasing of memory. And then to be able to connect back, we start to adopt and connect to like goddess celebration, goddess cultures, <laughs> and what have you, um, to, to connect to spirit. But, and that is really good. And even people have connected to past lives as a way to connect to spirit. Um, But I think it's time now, if you're able, and if it feels appropriate, to actually connect to your bloodline. Because there's a lot of knowledge there, a lot of grounding that can happen, a lot of blessing. And the truth is, is you might have to go quite far back to get to a really healthy ancestor. And I want to be clear, when we work on the spiritual side of ancestral work, we're only going to the ancestors that are absolutely loving, absolutely bright, lit. Yeah, we get to pick and choose. Yeah, no, (laughs) you can't pick it. You're going to choose the, the ancestors are going to come forward that are absolutely loving. And you're only moving in connecting with those because they will serve as a guide and a buffer uh, from the ancestors that may be just okay or not healthy or want to work out their stuff through you. Right. It's really important just like in people in, in this dimension that you need to have healthy boundaries with. It's the same with our ancestors that have crossed over. Not all of them. You want to take on their burden. You want to acknowledge them. You want to understand them, but you don't want to take on their burden. Yes. Because to a certain degree, you have through your epigenetics. So we need to learn how to unhook and become healthy ourselves. And then, you know, and also glean our strength from our healthy ancestors Mm. to really keep that grounding, tending our roots, feeling coming in. I love that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so I kind of want to just like pick up a little bit from where we left off, Um, you know, really, really trying to understand our our ancestry and our genetics all tied in with this kind of like polyvagal stuff that we have around like our nervous system. And I guess, can you kind of like, you know, like briefly make that connection? I know it's such a huge topic, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, can you, can you kind of tie up that bow like how we can like detangle our like fight flight and freeze mode and finding that space of calm with tying into in our physical bodies with also wrapping up with our like ancestral like Mm -hmm. connection and and cultural connection as well 
So, yeah, again, the basics are yoga practice, polyvagal practices, which you learned one, embodied intuition, and ancestral exploration. And off of ancestral exploration is there's this, we have our personal connection, but then we have our culture. And we kind of touched on before the break on um, where our American culture comes from. And we come from all places, obviously. And the book that really does amazing unpacking, that's going to be a main source, and I've mentioned three times already, which is, you know, In My Grandmother's Hands, a brilliant book that uses the polyvagal um, the polyvagal theory to unpack what's called racialized trauma. So what's fascinating is there's three different types of bodies that are affected by what Resma calls white body supremacy, with each having their own unique experiences and history of trauma. And they are white body trauma, black body trauma, and police body trauma. And in that book, he gently works with each group, but also together to learn about each other more. And of course, there's probably more, but he just uses these basic categories because, um, you know, learning about our cultural history does impact the personal. And it's been very easy with white privilege. And I have to say that because I'm European heritage that I have white body trauma. And I want to unpack that and understand how we got into this mess in this country. And we can look at the surface and get angry and go to the streets, and we should. We can also go down into the roots of this. And I think it's really productive to actually start looking at our ancestors and how we got to racist ideology and how that's impacted our ancestors. I believe that I have at least 10 generations that survived, okay, survived meaning polyvagal survival, through silence. Silence, remember, equals violence. So there's a sadness there. Um, and to grieve that, have space to grieve how we got where we have culturally right now. And how do we move forward? So I, you know, hats off to um, Resma Menachem for really doing that. And again, we're, we're going to be looking at that. And that said, the Tending Our Roots group circle, I believe, will benefit people who are of ancest, um, European ancestral history. And if black, indigenous, or people of color are interested in attending this group, I would like to talk with you first to see if it's a good fit. But I think it would be of most benefit to uh, for people who are um, of European heritage. Yeah, we're going to unpack that white privilege a little bit. <laughs> right. Anyone who feels that have benefited from white privilege, but also feels burdened by it and wants to learn more about it. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, um, so can you tell us a little bit about how people can find you? And um, yeah, what are, what's your, your website right. and social media or, or whatever that looks like? Right. So um, I don't do social media. That's um, okay. I kind of <laughs> do, but not really. I have a thing about Facebook. But anyway, um, uh, my website is uh, yogaforwellbeing.com. Perfect. 
And you could also email me at yoga at rcn.com. Fabulous. I'd love to have a conversation. Have you have questions about what's come up for you, maybe from this conversation? Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, we're coming to the top of the hour, but do you have any last words of wisdom that you'd like to throw out into the universe? Yes. Um, this piece of wisdom I, I really resonate with, and it's from the Hopi Indian chief, White Eagle. And he said, and I par- paraphrase, that one has a choice to walk through a door and face our fear and hardship or fall into a hole. We can either stay stuck, anxious, and helpless in our imbalance that is seemingly hard-baked into our nervous system, or we face personal or societal challenges with practices, real practices, to keep you calm, creative, and joyful. So Chief White White Eagle says being calm, creative, and joyful is a resistance strategy. I want you to remember that, that coming into joy, creativity is a resistance strategy. And this is how we come into our activism is to really be real and human and not stressed out, stress balls. (laughs) Right. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Arden, um, for coming on the show and talking with us today. Um, And if you're just tuning in and you want to catch um, the full episode with Arden Sundari, um, you can always go on to anywhere you download your uh, favorite podcasts. You can find the Energy Matters podcast um, and the all. All episodes are posted uh, the Friday after the airing, um, or you can go on to Reiki Northampton and catch uh, the episode posted there as well. Um, but I just want to say thank you again so much for coming on the show, Arden. And thank you. You know, really, I know you've been doing a deep dive and all this stuff for your own personal self. So bringing this forward to um, the Tending Your Roots workshop, I think, is going to be a very interesting uh, process for for people to start unpacking a lot of this this old gunk that mm-hmm. we need to get out of our system so we can heal and be healthy and you know heal this planet and all the right. all the things, all the things. <laughs> all the above. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Carolyn. You're welcome. Um, great weekend, everyone, and be well.